0: It's been a couple of weeks since the last episode. I took some time off to adjust to my fall schedule, but today I am back with part one of a two-part series on the sexiest of all the death-related topics, paperwork. Let's get started with Advanced Healthcare Directives. Welcome to Death Becomes Her, the mini cast where we spend five to ten minutes discussing death, dying, and grief from a variety of angles. I'm your host, Lyella Kelly. You've likely heard of an advanced directive, but what exactly is it? Basically, it's directions that we give in advance. That's the simple definition. For our purposes today, we're going to discuss an advanced healthcare directive, which is an umbrella term that includes two different documents, a living will and a healthcare power of attorney. Like I said, we're talking about paperwork. Let's start with the living will. What is a living will? A living will is a document that details your medical wishes should you become incapacitated, either temporarily or permanently. It is a written set of instructions expressing your wishes for medical treatment. Generally, people think of this in relation to death, but it could also be useful in an accident situation where you're incapacitated. Your living will is a valuable guide for your family and healthcare providers because it communicates your wishes regarding treatments. It allows you to weigh in even though you can't speak for yourself. But here's the tricky part. Filling out a living will asks you to face your own mortality, or at the very least, the idea of some kind of tragedy befalling you. That can be exceedingly hard for a lot of us you're going to need to determine your choices regarding the initiation, continuation, withholding, or withdrawal of life-sustaining treatments like feeding tubes or artificial respiration. You'll also need to consider procedures and treatments that you would accept or refuse like antibiotics, blood transfusions, kidney dialysis, invasive diagnostic procedures, or surgeries. It's a lot to think about. But here's the thing if you don't make these decisions, somebody else is going to have to make them for you. An extreme example of this is the Terry Shavo case, a case you've likely heard of. Terry was 26 years old when she fell unconscious in her apartment on February 25th, 1990. She experienced cardiac arrest. Paramedics were able to resuscitate her, but she never regained consciousness. She was put on a feeding tube. Several treatments and therapies were tried to improve her condition, but none were successful in improving her situation. In the years that followed, arguments raged within the family because they had differing opinions on what Terry would want. Terry's case ended up in the court's. The battle continued until March of 2005, when her feeding tube was removed. Terry had lived in a persistent vegetative state on life support for 15 years. In an article called The Terry Chavo Saga, The Making of a Tragedy and Lessons Learned, which was published by the Mayo Clinic Proceedings, it said this. Unfortunately, most adult Americans, like Terry Chavo, do not have an advance directive. In these situations, physicians must identify a legally authorized surrogate. Some states have statutes that specify a hierarchy of surrogates, whereas other states do not specify a formal hierarchy. In the case of Terry, it wasn't clear who should be making the decisions her husband, her parents, or the state. This brings us to the next document in the advanced directive, the healthcare power of attorney. This is the document that allows you to name your healthcare surrogate or proxy. In other words, the person who will speak on your behalf. The Mayo Clinic article that I previously mentioned sheds more light on the responsibilities of your proxy. It says, quote, a healthcare surrogate or proxy has the moral obligation to follow the explicit directives of the patient, as articulated formally in an advanced directive, or by complying with the patient's previously expressed wishes. In the absence of explicit instructions, surrogates must use substituted judgment. That is, knowing the worldview, values, goals, and fears of the patient, and making decisions as closely as possible to those the patient would make if capable. Often these decisions are difficult. Families may not discuss end-of-life and similar issues, and as a result, surrogates may genuinely not know how the patient would decide. In these situations, the surrogate should follow the best interest standard. That is, given the medical facts and prognosis, make decisions that would be in the best interest of the patient. Although each subsequent standard is less directed by the patient's known wishes and beliefs, when those wishes and beliefs are known, the surrogate is obliged to execute them. End quote. There's a lot to unpack there, so I'm going to try and make it as clean and tidy as I can. First, the person that you pick to speak for you needs all the information that you can provide them with. They need to know not only your choices, but also the values that shape those choices. Then they will have the responsibility to use their judgment to interpret your instructions. This person shouldn't be chosen rashly. They should really know what makes you tick. They may very well face difficult decisions, so your proxy should be assertive enough to ask questions and not easily offended if their position is challenged. You want to choose somebody whom you trust to be able to speak for you while enduring the stress of a medical crisis. Again, it's a tall order, so give your choice careful thought. The Mayo Clinic article also noted that families may not discuss end-of-life issues. Don't be that family. Have the tough conversations. Talking about death won't kill you. I realize that making these decisions can be daunting. Discussing cases like Terry Schiavo aren't meant to scare you, and I'm not saying that the choices that were made were right or wrong. I wasn't involved in the situation, and I can't comment on that. The point of bringing up such an extreme example is simply in demonstration of what can happen when our wishes aren't clearly documented. The lesson is simple. Document your wishes. Let's move forward and address some practical questions. First, Who needs a living will? It's easy to procrastinate and it's easy to think, I'm not old enough to need that or nothing is going to happen to me. That is certainly our hope, but just in case, everyone over the age of 18 should have a living will. Next, where can you get the documents? Simple versions can be obtained from your healthcare provider or found online for free. Start there. You can compare or combine directives to make sure that all of your concerns are covered. Check the laws in your state to verify the steps needed to bind your document. In my state, two witnesses are required to witness the signing of the document. A notary isn't necessary, but requirements do vary from state to state, so check the requirements for your own state. What should you do with your completed documents? Make copies, lots of copies. Give one to your healthcare proxy and your backup proxy. Yes, you should name a backup in case your first choice isn't available. You may even want to name a backup for your backup. Give a copy to your doctor and have it add it to your medical records. Register it with your state if that's an option where you live. Keep a copy in your in case of emergency file. Give a copy to whomever you think needs to know this information. The document does you absolutely no good if nobody has access to it when it's needed. I know that these are not fun tasks, but they are extremely valuable. If you find the whole thing rather intimidating, there are people like me who can provide you with resources to help you through the questions. Another option is to get together with a small group of friends and have a lively chat about all the just-in-case issues that we've talked about today. Normalize the conversation. Additionally, I can recommend a couple of books. The first is Being Mortal, Medicine and What Matters in the End by Atul Gawande. The second is Extreme Measures, Finding a Better Path to the End of Life by Jessica Nudick-Zitter. Please get started on your paperwork, read some books, do some research and give thought to how you feel about end of life decisions. When you do the work, you take a step toward maintaining control of your life all the way to the end. Additionally, you take the burden off of others. Providing your family with a well-thought-out set of instructions allows them the freedom to support and care for you without the stress of trying to intuit what you may want. It's time and effort well spent. Thank you for listening to The Death Becomes Her minicast. Connect with me, Layella Kelly, at www.LeavingWellMT.com. Dot com. Special thanks to Roman B. Love for our intro and outro music. Thank you for tuning in. And remember, talking about death won't kill you. I promise.